a Festivus for the rest of us. Welcome to the special Boxing Day version of Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting to you here on the Big Talker 1067 FM every single Saturday. Not even Christmas week will stop us here on the Big Talker 1067 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina. You can head on over to our website, consumerchoiceradio.com, where you can listen to all the previous uh, interviews that we've done all of this year. Subscribe to the podcast versions. You can listen to it whenever and wherever in your podcast apps. I'm one half of your host here on the radio program, Yael Osaski, broadcasting to you from Vienna, Austria. Not yet a white Christmas, but likely coming soon. And I'm joined by my colleague David Clement on the mic, who's snowed in in Toronto, Ontario. David, how goes it? Yeah, well, it looks like the Grinch has officially stolen Christmas, so um, it's not going great. It looks like uh, so full lockdown in Ontario starts today, um, which means that everybody's likely maybe seen some family for Christmas. Um, and now we go back into like an April style lockdown is how I understand it. Um, so, yeah, not great. Um, there's a new strain of coronavirus coming out of the U.K., um, and so all travel and now some goods are being banned from the UK, which is kind of scary. Um, but you know what? Other than that, everything is fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's uh, it's strange that they do the, the Christmas lockdown uh, is a big deal. I mean, obviously, Austria, here where I live, would love to do that lockdown as well and enforce it today. But they've already cemented their plan and saying that we will go into lockdown starting the 26th until at least the 18th yeah. of January. And that is yeah. knowing that the uh, the vaccine is still not approved in the European Union. Uh, I think it's only a, mm-hmm. going to be approved uh, in a few days after Christmas. And essentially, everyone has the vaccine. They're ready and willing to go. Everybody's mm-hmm. got it. It's just they're not allowed to distribute it until it's officially uh, okayed uh, by the European authorities. I know our, our colleague Luca mm-hmm. Bertoletti mm-hmm. has opined on that a bit on, on social media and was called all kinds of things. But yeah, I think yeah. you've been making I that should. case, David, in Canada that uh, not only approval came a bit later, but also uh, the plan for vaccination is incredibly slow when compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I should clarify for our listeners who are maybe tuning in online. When I say today, I mean the 26th is the is the day for lockdown here. But um on the, on the rollout for vaccines, uh, there's a very useful um, tracker that shows how quickly different countries are vaccinating, both in terms of totals, um, but also more importantly, doses administered per 100 people. Um, and so it, it's really interesting. The UK is way ahead, um, about 14 times quicker than Canada right now. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously interesting. You want everybody to get to as high of a number as possible, as soon as possible, but these disparities between countries could be what undoes some, uh, or what, what undoes some, um, some legislators who in six, eight, nine months time will have to answer for why some countries so vastly outperformed others. Um, I know we've mentioned this before, but in the Canadian example, um, there is a possibility that Americans will get a relatively, in air quotes, normal summer um, if, if the Biden administration can really crank things up in terms of ensuring that it, the pace is kept. Um, and by the estimates now and by Trudeau's own account, it doesn't look like that will be possible for Canadians. And so regardless of the justifications, there's going to be a lot of people looking at our, at our friends um, in the U S who are 
going to Six Flags Darien Lake and going to movie theaters and having barbecues and enjoying the summer months where we're still living under restrictions. And I think that that will be something that will have to be paid for at the ballot box because um, even if the justifications are valid, there's just, there is a limit to how much people will tolerate in terms of the disparity. Um, so knock on wood, that isn't what happens because hopefully, um, hopefully everybody can kind of speed things up and move those deadlines from the middle part or September of 2021 into March, April, May of 2021, but we'll see. And uh, in North Carolina, my home state and, and where this show broadcast out of, uh, the vaccine did arrive, I think, about a week and a half ago, 85,000 doses, uh, doses of the Pfizer vaccine uh, distributed to 11 of the largest hospitals uh, where they have ultra cold storage and were able to vaccinate, obviously, the healthcare workers who are at the front lines of this. And uh, I think one interesting thing will be how they prioritize. I know it's different in various states and different areas. Uh, it seems it's going to healthcare workers first who are at very high risk of exposure. Uh, and then they're attempting to find out, you know, those who are in the long-term care facilities, nursing homes and such. Uh, I actually just learned in Canada, David, that my grandfather uh, actually did have COVID. Uh, my grandfather, not a young man. Oh, geez. Uh, he's been in the uh, nursing facility for, I think, upwards of around three years now. Um, mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, not able to move on his own. Uh, he did catch it, but he did recover. Um, I think he's, he's, I think around 82 or 83 years old. Um, so well, that's, that's great that he recovered. Yeah. Cause I mean, those, those care homes are essentially ground zero. I mean, the, I don't know what the percentages are in the U S but someone basically did, did some digging on the actual location of all of Canada's COVID deaths and something like 95% of all of the COVID fatalities were actually people living in care homes yeah um so it just goes to show you how how much is at stake in those places so great that uh great that your grandfather was able to to battle through that because that's um that's scary for for anybody and uh, we'll get into more details on that here in a little bit but uh i figured now would be the time david we've got a special segment uh that you wanted to pin up this is your idea or rather that of your wife's uh to <laughs> do a special episode and the theme is... A Festivus for the rest of us! That's all right. A Festivus for the rest of us. Okay, David, tell us what this is all about. So, Festivus. Um, now, this episode will be airing on the radio uh, just a few days after Festivus. But Festivus is a holiday um, that was popularized. It's a fake holiday. Uh, but it was popularized by... Um, the father of George Costanza on Seinfeld. And basically in response to the overly religious and commercial nature of uh, the holiday season, he creates a new holiday called Festivus and he declares it a Festivus for the rest of us. Um, and so this, this holiday uh, involves a few important details. So usually under normal circumstances, um, you would have a festivist dinner. You would have um, the airing of grievances, which is where you bring your family together and you explain to them how they've all disappointed you over the last year. Um, you also have feats of strength, which is um, essentially like wrestling matches or strength competitions. And Rather than a Christmas tree, you have a unadorned aluminum pole, um, which Beautiful. is in replace of the Christmas tree. Because he doesn't, um, uh, so because Frankenstanza does not like tinsel. Yes, he finds it very distracting. Yes. All right, so yes. uh, David has chalked up a list. I've done the same. Uh, obviously, we have a consumer focus, but also looking into the world of politics and everywhere else. Uh, David, yep. are you prepped? Because we'll, we'll get Frank to start us off. Ooh, yes. Um, I am prepped. I am prepped. So let's get Frank to, to start us off. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, 
You're going to hear about it. All right, perfect, David. You're up. Number one. All right. So I'm going to start with Canada's heritage minister. Uh, I bet you a lot of our listeners are like, what on earth is a heritage minister? <laughs> and why does that job exist? Good question. I don't know. Um, who at the absolute worst time has decided that the federal government is going to implement a Netflix tax and new regulations on streaming. Um, so just as you've been kind of camped up, we're going, we're going into lockdown. Things are getting ugly again. You're going to be at home. You've been at home for nine months relying on things like Netflix. Boom. Now it's going to be more expensive. Um, so I, I, I put him near the top of the list, which is uh, pretty brutal pretty brutal and really terrible timing wow that one's golden i like that one netflix tack uh and that is uh canada's heritage minister uh stephen Gubot, do you say how do you say it in english yes yeah i believe so who if you look him up he is a quite an interesting character who was once arrested during a protest where he, i think he tried to climb a building to defend the climate and he got arrested and there's this very weird looking mugshot of him. <laughs> yeah. He's a strange cat. Yeah. He's uh he comes from the uh, environmentalist left uh, from my home province yes. of Quebec. Uh, so so yes. definitely. Uh, yeah. That's a deserving title. Uh, number one, heritage minister, Stephen Gilbo in Canada. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's move on. And uh, I got a good one, David. You'll like this one. Mm -hmm. Andrew mm -hmm. Cuomo. Oh, the qualms. The pandemic champion, leadership in crisis. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this one. Uh, some of these are going to be multi-pronged because there's a lot of stuff to complain yeah, about. Oh, yeah. A lot of problems yeah. with you, people. Um, and you're going to hear, about, hear it. about it. Number one for Andrew Cuomo, just his entire uh, pandemic policy um, really related to early on the nursing homes uh, where they were actively sending in COVID positive people into nursing homes and, and basically infecting more people. Obviously, we didn't know about all the science at the time, um, but not a guy that you put up on a pedestal and uh, surely no one that you should buy his book where he talks about how it's so great that he ended the uh, the pandemic in New York. Cases are rising, same problems as everywhere else. That's number one. Number two are the arbitrary shutdowns that have come with that. A lot of stuff and talk about schooling. Uh, but also just with the restaurants. It's been back and forth. Uh, we've talked on this program about how the different restaurants have basically tried to skirt the rules or try to understand if they're allowed to serve alcohol and they need to have this amount of food and all of a sudden nachos are, are on the menu or uh, the Andrew Cuomo sandwiches or whatever, number two. And then the last one, number three, is they signed the bill to basically completely obliterate flavored vaping products in the state of New York. Uh, which was a big one that we covered, uh, but definitely this guy's a Grinch. Uh, that was not a good move at all for people who seek out alternative products. So that's one, two, three, bing, bing, bam, uh, for Andrew Cuomo, at least on my list. Yeah, he is, I don't know, I've never understood the appeal of Andrew Cuomo. And there were rumors, um, there were rumors that Biden was looking at him to be attorney general, which made me puke a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> Is that still not the case? Awful. I don't I don't know. Did he pick I, anyone yet? I, I don't I I don't actually know if he's picked anybody yet, but I know that Cuomo was in was in the I running. I think he so. still is. Yeah. I'm I'm seeing the the headlines oh. from just a couple of days ago are still active, so Yeah. I I hope not. That's that's that would just oh, be man, really this guy could be the chief Today's enforcer. Whoops. Uh Jake Tapper off in the background. This guy could be the chief enforcer <laughs> um of the government. So Oh, man. Yeah, no good, no good. Um, on that note of American politicians who were particularly disappointing, none other than California California Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. Oh, this is good. I didn't um, even think about this one. Yeah, Way to go. For, for, for two reasons. So one, AB5, we've talked about this. It was basically the anti-Uber bill. Um, so again, just as everyone is relying on these delivery services to get food to their house. She wants to make regulations that make it much more difficult for them to operate. And they were ultimately regulations that the drivers themselves didn't want because the drivers overwhelmingly voted against um, 
her proposal. Uh, so yay for California voters who voted against that, but nay for her for suggesting it in the first place. And then the second reason why she's an absolute mess is when she tweeted F Donald or F Elon Musk um, because Elon Musk was complaining about certain restrictions and rules and whatnot in California. And Elon Musk promptly responded by saying like noted and then <laughs> message received like three month, message received. <laughs> and three months later, he's moving tech. He's moving Tesla to Texas and all of those jobs to Texas. So uh, not only did she try and kill jobs uh, with her anti-ride sharing and anti-Uber bill, she actively got rid of Californian jobs by further prompting Elon Musk to uh, to leave the state. So uh, yeah, I don't even, what's a what's a more severe word for disappointment? Oh, an um, aberration. Whatever an it, aberration. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's the word the word that she's worthy of. So um, yeah, boo to her. Wow, that's a good one. All right, Lorena Gonzalez is on the list. I'm trying to you know tax these all up and put them on there. Andrew Cuomo, we have on the list. Lorena, God, what a winner that one is. Cool. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. I got a lot of problems with you people. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, one. It's not a person, but an entity. Um, mm. I'm gonna go with the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, that's a good one. So two reasons. Uh, number one is actually three. Uh, obviously, the covering up in the early days of uh, the Carol Baskins virus, very important. That is a huge one. Arresting doctors and journalists who are talking about or even discussing it. Um, I hope we don't forget the fate of the hero doctor who was trying to tell people about what was happening and, and was basically being covered up, arrested, uh, and stymied, number one. Number two is just the entire scourge of fake products, specifically masks and tests that were sent out around the world that came from China that were rubber-stamped by the Chinese Communist Party that were faulty and probably did a lot of harm in many communities around the world, surely in I know the Czech Republic, it was like 80% of those tests were all faulty, did not work at all. And then number three is for uh, trying to steal my credit info. Uh, this was uh, the hacking of Equifax oh, yes. that happened some months ago. I forgot ago. about that. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece about it in uh, Spectator because I, I remember when that happened. It's like, why are these guys trying to get my credit information? Uh, there's there's probably a lot more that's going on. They filed charges against these military generals who apparently were the head of this hack force. Uh, obviously, these are people who won't be arrested anytime soon, but that's a just another nail in the coffin Chinese Communist Party. There's probably, that list can be very, very long, and there's other stuff I have on my list that's at least related to that, but as an entity, CCP, yeah. you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One quick note on that, which I don't think we ever chatted about, there was a news story that broke that Canada's foreign minister, um, so that's like Canada's equivalent of Secretary of State. Yeah, he owns a property in London. I have heard this. Yes, whose who, whose mortgage was through a state-owned bank in China, and everyone was like, um, "You can't be, you can't be our chief diplomat and owe a state-owned bank bank in China. That you're not allowed to do what, that." Has Christiana Freeland? No. No, no, no. This is champagne. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's always yeah. the French Canadians yeah. who are on your list for some reason, David. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll be appearing on one of these later. I like that. Yeah. Also, no, uh, my... I, I don't want to play into the Rebel News narrative. Rebel News mm -hmm. is a kind of daily caller ONN of Canada. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I did... Not great. I read the story. I, I haven't followed up on it about the military exercises that were being done with the Canadian oh, military goodness. and the Chinese military? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that fake news or legit? Because I think that was no, freedom legit. of information documents. Yeah, and the Globe and Mail covered it. Every, it. It basically made the news cycle, and everybody else kind of validated it. And essentially, there were going to be like joint military exercises in the same way that like the United States and Korea will do joint military exercises. Um yeah, and then it got canceled, obviously, for good reasons. Um, but people within the government, within the Liberal Party, were outraged that it got canceled. And it's like, guys, you know who, you know who you're dealing with, right? Like, 
it's, it's almost like they forgot. I mean, it's that... it's a government that actively has Canadian citizens that are in jails, and has on Trump on and people have been warned to not travel there because of you know sort of the broader political uh, back and forth and just retribution that can happen. Yeah, it's wild. So yeah, what so, a what a whoops CCP on yeah, that. They'll, they'll probably yeah. there'll be some people connected to that coming later. All right, cool, David. Yeah, next yeah. up on your so, list. On the entity list, and I and forgive me, this is um, this is multi pronged as well. Um, I am going to air my grievances with the FDA. Oh man, this is good. I have this on my list. Go ahead. So, in regards to the pandemic, the FDA prohibiting private testing for the virus in the spring. Um, so apparently, that's something that was supposed to be legal. Um, the FDA certifying only one government lab in Atlanta to run all tests, um, which obviously was a nightmare. And I think I think that site ended up being contaminated at one point as well. Um, the FDA shutting down the Gates Foundation's effort to do widespread community testing. Um, the, so the, the type of testing where you basically get a sample of the population to see how widespread the virus is. Um, the FDA delaying its vaccine advisory committee meetings for weeks after the data and applications were submitted. Um, and then the FDA up until I think it was a week ago, blocking at-home testing and mail-in testing. Um, all really, really dumb things that the FDA did, which really makes you scratch your head and wonder why the FDA exists to do all of these things and why they have the power to regulate those things. So, and I would throw I would um, throw the CDC in there as well because they also monopolized the tests and essentially you could only use the tests devised by CDC and the mm -hmm. FDA was sort of the enforcement arm of that. And yep. just monopolizing to this scale when we saw in places like South Korea the ability to test and I think it was Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, like getting on a damn plane to go pick up more tests and masks himself <laughs> to go yeah, get this. Negotiated, stuff. negotiated through it. Now I think that those tests ended up not being great. Could be. Um, well, at but, least it was an the, attempt. He, <laughs> yeah, at, at least he took some initiative. I, I, if I remember correctly, he his wife is Korean. And so his wife like helped broker the deal by translating all the conversations with the Korean officials. It's quite the story. Beautiful. Um, and also yeah. related to that, if, if you, you guys have seen the flight attendant on HBO, uh, just, just be careful of uh, doing, you know, back channel negotiations with Koreans because you never know who you might be talking to. <laughs> Some people will figure that out. But... <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. Uh, great. Yeah. I love that, David. Uh, that's cool. I'm going to go with one that we have not necessarily talked about next, uh, but is very important. And I'm going to have to put the teachers unions on the list. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this, I hope, I hope that LA teachers union is up. Yeah. There. I mean, we, we, <laughs> if I want to go through the list, I could, you know, we go through the Chicago, the LA, New York. So essentially LA is the, LA worst. is the absolute worst. Uh, you have to think about all the demands that people were making um, in the midst of the social justice protest, which again, have taken part of uh, this Carol Baskin's virus era, but the teachers unions especially have been in multiple jurisdictions and nationally through Ronnie Weingarten, Randy Weingarten, who's the, the head of American Federation of Teachers. They've been lobbying to keep the schools closed, and if they are open at remote teaching or remote learning, and this is not being done out of concern for the children. Think of the children! It's being done for basically the demands of the teachers unions and teachers who, and I have many friends who are teachers, many people who listen to this are teachers. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to teach kids. They want to be able to be in a safe environment, but this kind of lobbying of jurisdictions to keep schools closed is actively harming many communities. I'm lucky that my daughter is young enough, uh, but you know, was still mm -hmm. able to go to her preschool, her kindergarten and, uh, some parts of that have been somewhat restricted, but not really. But the teachers unions are actively trying to shut down all these schools. And what they've done in places like Illinois 
is that the teachers will work remotely and some of the kids will be in the classrooms and then they'll hire 23, 24 year olds to essentially be proctors in the classroom to make sure people are paying attention to their computers. And so there's all this money that's being spent to hire these people so that teachers are, quote, not put in harm's way. But again, there are different ways that you can mitigate that and smarter ways than shutting down all the schools, throwing a lot of kids into poverty who rely on those meals and education and putting more strain on parents uh, who might be, you know, trying trying to find any kind of work or trying to work through all of this. It's definitely been a headache. So teachers unions, you're on the list. And in the most egregious one for me is in LA where in the negotiations they're like, well, we don't want to go back to in-person teaching until you defund the police. And it's like, wait, what? What does that have to do with the pandemic? What does that have to do with keeping kids or teachers safe, teachers in their workplace and kids in school? It's like, that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> like that's the, that is the most bogus, whether that, whether that cause is just or not, that's the most bogus negotiating tool ever. Um, so shame on them for, for getting into that nonsense. Shame. David, what's next shame. on your list? It's a beautiful Festivus. Everybody. Um, yes, it is a, a beautiful Festivus. festivus. For I, the rest of us. I'm, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say, the most, the second most detestable person in New York, none other than New York City Mayor Bill De Blasio, beautiful, who is all, who is not only an epic hypocrite, um, and I'm sure we'll get to a, a long list of politicians who are that, has made some really backwards decisions. Um, so one would be the ban uh, or moving forward with prohibitions on outdoor dining. Um, but two, and more importantly, so New York City made some changes to their alcohol laws. Um, and that meant that people could start to take drinks to go. And Mayor de Blasio very sternly tweeted, basically saying, hey, guys, it's still illegal to drink in public. So if you are caught, you will be fined. And it's like, dude, why don't you just relax for a little bit? It, this is just like Europe. Surely adults can manage. People are drinking outside anyway. Like I have a friend who was in New York City and he was like, yeah, basically everyone was just cruising around the street, which all you all you could do was be outside um, with a beer. And the fact that you want to waste police resources, fining, ticketing, or possibly arresting those people is just backwards. It didn't make any Guys, sense. Guys, just do what we did it back in school. Just brown bag it. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's not just. <laughs> hey, that's what I learned in Montreal: is you're not allowed to drink in public, but if you have a brown bag around it, you're safe. They'll they'll never know. They'll never, they'll know. never know. I like this. I would also add to the uh, Bill De Blasio. I mean, there's so much, but certainly when it comes to the police protests, uh, absolute hypocrite. When it comes to that, shaming the Jewish community of New York City. Uh, which oh yeah that was bad which doesn't get, that was it really doesn't bad. get much coverage because you know you don't have like huge uh, Hasidic Jewish newspapers that everyone reads uh, but this was really focused on many of these Jewish community centers uh, schools and everything else and really trying to I mean almost threatening these guys from you know trying to educate their kids or come together a lot of stuff about you know people getting sick they're not social distancing they're not keeping their stores closed and really targeting the community in ways that. You know, if uh, let's say someone happened to have an R next to their name, would be called many dirty things. So that was that was very yeah. sad to see it. Very true. And that's that's one that's not uh, really discussed enough. I like that, Bill De Blasio. You're number seven. We're keeping a good list here. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Um, this is related to something before, and one that might come out of right field. Ted Cruz. Ooh, I think I know where you're going with this. Ted Cruz. And I like Ted it. Cruz, um, you know, someone who is the son of a political refugee. Uh, he's someone who is uh, very well known for, you know, supporting human rights and these kind of things in his rhetoric. Uh, he was the lone voice, is the lone voice, who is skeptical of the proposal to give asylum to people who are trying to escape Hong Kong now that the Chinese Communist Party has cemented more institutional power there, uh, Senator Ted Cruz has stopped this to say, well, we don't know if there might be spies among these groups. So we don't know 
the, the quote is, um, my family knows the oppression of communist government, and it's important to speak up for dissidents who are being tortured and oppressed in China. We just don't know if there could be spies among them. You're on the list. Yeah, that's yeah, that's brutal. That's brutal. It's like, come on, Ted. These people are fleeing one of the most authoritarian and repressive regimes, who are slowly encroaching on, completely eliminating any ounce of freedom they ever had in Hong Kong. But he was essentially Uh, the voice uh, who knocked this down. It was the Hong Kong People's Freedom and Choice Act of 2020. Uh, It actually had bipartisan support in the Senate. And he who, I mean, he's been at Stand With Hong Kong protests, you know, he's been at the airport holding up signs, and then he puts up this kind of last minute denial. I mean, also, that's, it's, look at the refugee, I mean, maybe this is the wrong example, (laughs) but if you guys have seen Scarface, you know, there is a process to screen refugees, maybe it didn't work in in terms of Scarface, (laughs) Where'd you get that ska? How am I going to get that ska doing whatever? Um, but definitely bad, bad, bad on you, Ted Cruz. Many things people can like about Cruz or dislike about him, but this certainly takes the cake. It kind of seems like a weird right-wing version version of nimbyism, where he's like, oh, yeah, I want you guys to be free. Like, screw the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, no, not here, though. Buddy, <laughs> not here. look, Ted Cruz, you're as Canadian-born as as both of us, buddy. Yeah, you should understand but, uh, here. <laughs> this is not the way. Also, to go. for also for reference, the UK is is processing five passport applications a minute. Wow, from Hong Kong, um, so they are really ramping things up to make sure that people can get out if they want. Um, I, I I don't know yeah. why this this went through, you know, and uh, definitely the west coast of the United States and Canada knows full well what happens when you accept people from Hong Kong. Uh, these are very economically literate people, mostly entrepreneurs, and they're trying to escape a terrible system. And they actually end up doing yeah, a lot of damn good. Yeah, they're people who genuinely love freedom, and they're escaping the prospect of basically becoming part of uh, mainland China. So, it's, I for those if, if you don't have sympathy for those fleeing that type of oppression. I don't know. We're just not on the same wavelength here. And so shame on you, Ted Cruz. Perfect. Next up, David. Next up, Canada's health minister, Patty Hadju. Um, yeah. So shame on her for, uh, now this was early in the pandemic when things were pretty dark, um, when we were really not knowing all of the information about how deadly the virus was going to be, all of those things. So she urged Canadians to not go and see their families over Easter. And then it broke that she had flown uh, several times, I think maybe upwards of like five or six, several times home on the government's private jet to go and see her family. Um, So huge hypocrite, uh, rules for the rules for thee, but not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, big problem. And then not soon after that, she gets photographed, taken a, she gets photographed without her mask on at the airport of all places. Um, and that kind of, that news breaks and she's like, Oh, well I was eating, but there's no, there's no food in the photo. She's just, <laughs> she's just, she's clearly didn't want to have her mask on. Um, so again, rules for, for thee, but not for me. Um, so shame on her for all of that nonsense. A festivus for the rest of us. Good one. And I, I can't stress enough how if the rules are legitimate and they're not arbitrary, you have to have your government officials follow them. Otherwise, people see this and then they go, oh, well, I mean, Bill de Blasio went to the gym. I didn't go to the gym. Or they see other things like Gavin Newsom, um, who... I hope is your next nominee because he is also a pretty epic uh, heap of trash. Um, you, you have all these hypocrites. Well, no wonder people aren't following the rules. No wonder people don't care. No wonder people have more COVID fatigue uh, in terms of social distancing and all of that. Like 
this that's a predictable consequence of hypocrisy. I just looked up her salary, by the way. Two hundred and seventy thousand oh. Canadian dollars. That's like two hundred and ten or two hundred and eleven thousand US. Yeah. That's huge. Wild. That's like yeah. as much as a football coach in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's let's keep with the theme of um of epic um Carol Baskin's virus hypocrites. Uh, I'm not going to go with uh, Gavin Newsom just yet. There's plenty reserved for him. But I will go with another California politician, and this is another multi-pronged one. And it's Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, Two, I guess two or threefold. Number one, obviously, is the salon hypocrite, um, you know, telling people all businesses need to shut, all this and that, while she's um, getting her hair did not wearing a mask, doing this whole thing that's on video, and then she denies it and says she was set up by the salon owner. <laughs> it's another slap in the face to the entrepreneurs and the, the blue-collar class. And then also for her, a super expensive ice cream that she ate in her um, huge refrigerator on video, telling everyone it's, it's fine to stay home because you can enjoy this amazing ice cream like I'm enjoying, um, if only the rest of us could afford it. And the second one is, uh, it's going to be very political here, but for halting any further, I would say, furthering along the coronavirus stimulus bill number two, part deux, uh, she wanted to hold it up until way after the election. And the White House actually came out with the plan $1.2 trillion or $1.4 trillion in relief to American households. Nancy Pelosi put the brakes on it. They put that number out in September and a trimmed-down version of that bill just passed earlier this week. And that was to gain some kind of political advantage, to not give Trump a win. Uh, I know there's a lot of negotiation back and forth. Everyone wanted a lot of points, but really in this situation, you're playing politics with... It is a lot of money, and there's a lot of waste uh, in the final version, no doubt. But still, to not even bring it to the next level of negotiation because it might give a potential W to the person you don't like in the yeah. White House is, uh, it, to me, unconscionable, and you're on the list. Yeah, pretty, pretty bad. Um, I saw someone tweet something that was I thought was quite hilarious. Um, so for our listeners, if you see this video of Nancy Pelosi eating ice cream, she's eating this very expensive ice cream out of this mega fridge. Like, this is the fridge of all fridges. And someone tweeted, do you know how much Nancy Pelosi's fridge is valued at retail price? No. 40 stimulus checks. Oh, wow. (laughs) So 40 stimulus checks. So well over 20 grand for this fridge. And she's gone on about, well, we got a delay and all of this nonsense. It's just like, oh, it looks terrible. A Festivus for the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah, and, and on the hypocrisy note, um, there were a couple mayors um, that really stuck out. So one for me is um, the mayor of Denver, Michael Hancock. So he did this big video urging people, don't go anywhere, avoid unnecessary travel, try not to leave the state. And he got on a plane uh, with his wife and his daughter to fly to Mississippi. I think it was like 30 minutes after he said that um, to the public. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, if ever there's like, you have to live by these rules, that's one. And to do it knowing, like, it wasn't like, oh, okay, family emergency, I have to go home to be a caregiver or something like that. It's, hey, guys, don't do any unnecessary travel. By the way, I'm actually going to board a plane in half an hour to Mississippi for Thanksgiving. So bye. He, he was booking his Uber to the airport while he was recording the this thing. Wow. Yeah, pretty terrible. That's a good one. Uh, another one, obviously, is um, Mayor Adler of Austin, Texas. Uh, similar situation. He was at his daughter's wedding uh, somewhere in Mexico at his family home, and he was telling people, don't leave, don't travel, don't go anywhere. And, of course, he's uh, phoning in from his timeshare. So that's a golden one right there too. Yeah, Lovely. yeah, that's a tough one. Here's a here's another good one. Is early on in the pandemic, the premier of Prince Edward Island uh, closed liquor stores. Uh, now, luckily, that got reversed, but uh, it was basically pandemonium. Um, it, oh, it was it was wild. People were lined up for hours and hours, thinking that the liquor stores weren't going to be open again. 
um, just really bad. And then they realize, oh, okay, this is an essential service. So let's keep these open. And on that note, just goes to highlight some of like the arbitrary, it just feels like the longer we do this, the more obvious it is that there are, that some of these restrictions are just are completely made up. Like the, some guy was like, oh, I think we need to do this. And there's no, there's no safety justification for it. And I know you and I chatted about this before with um, the closing of certain retail outlets. That yeah, seems to the, be. And, you know, we're, we love all the big box stores and the Amazon centers, but it is true that in many circumstances, the big box stores could stay open, you know, with some restrictions, but the small businesses, they all had to close. Well, yeah. And then you have, you have left-wing politicians, whether they be the Bernie Sanders or the AOCs in the U.S. or the Jagmeet Singhs in Canada, basically saying, can you believe that these, these companies are profiting off of the pandemic? And it's like, can I believe that they're profiting? Are you kidding me? They offer delivery and, and you criminalize their competition. Of course they're profiting. We don't have any other choice. These are the people that, you know, you, you, go against now, but they've actually been providing stuff to, to the entire community. And hey, if maybe the small businesses were open, they could be doing exactly the same thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. So um, it just seems like, oh, we've created this circumstance where mega corporations win. And we're going to whine about mega corporations win as if it's their fault that we banned um, retail stores. And what's interesting here is that for the cynics listening, and I'll use the Canadian example, because I'm sure that there are some people listening who are like, yeah, but I'm, maybe these big companies wanted the lockdown or lobbied for the lockdown for the other businesses. In Ontario, um, Hudson's Bay Company, which is basically kind of like a, like a Macy's. Um, also one of the oldest companies in the entire world. Yes, yes. One of the oldest companies in the world sued the government to say that the lockdowns were unnecessary and arbitrary and included the defense of small businesses to allow for them to open and actively lobbied obviously for some of their stores to stay open but they did so for their competition as well uh, good so, good on them there, there's, a reason, there's a reason they got the the king's uh, <laughs> the king's authority to uh, set up <laughs> shop in in uh, then british north america later yes. canada i love it yes yes um yeah. Okay. So, what? Where? Who? Who else do you got? Who else so, you that, got? so, so I, we'll make that one category of mayoral uh, hypocrites, uh, or just gubernatorial yep. or uh, big hypocrites. We'll we'll make that one category. That's a good one. Um, I have another one that uh, <laughs> I don't know if this one's gonna, a bit too crazy, but I'm gonna say the straw police of Washington D.C. Ooh, okay. Let's explain this one. So we talked about straw police. Yeah, I have to go back. I don't remember exactly which episode. It might have been 20 or 21. Uh, so you can listen to that in the archives. But there's an entire task force in Washington, D.C. who is deputized, and they're able to go to restaurants and basically hand out fines if they find that they are serving plastic straws, disposable plastic straws to customers. And this is, uh, you know, this was earlier this year where it really started getting a lot of highlighted focus. And now, David, with more of a push uh, from the anti-plastic crowd, this could go mainstream. So I, I'm, I'm going to say uh, I got a lot of problems with the straw police of Washington, D.C. for providing an example now to many other cities where they might do the same thing. Yeah, that's a good one. And on the plastics note, we couldn't, we couldn't ignore um, Canada's environment minister who has put forward federal legislation to, to ban federally Plastic straws, plastic cutlery, plastic takeout containers, plastic grocery bags, you name it. And not only that, has done so in a really weird, sneaky way of putting, of regulating plastics and declaring all manufactured plastic toxic under the Canadian Environment and Protection Act, which is kind of like, um, would, would I don't know what the U.S. equivalent is, but it would be like using environmental protection laws that are used for like toxic sludge to regulate plastic. And so they've gone ahead and banned again, as with many of these examples, they've moved forward. Now the ban isn't implemented yet, but they're banning items that are pretty much essential right now. I mean, 
your takeout containers, your cutlery, your plastic bags. Like there was a time period where the grocery stores were only allowing for you to use their plastic bags. You couldn't bring your reusables. Like they were very strict. Why? Because it was the most sanitary option. Um, and so, yeah, to go, if it just feels like a really a huge inability to read the room, it's like, guys, like maybe the war on plastic was not as, uh, not as noble as we once thought. And if we want to talk about how do we recapture or how do we recycle? I mean, sure. That's great. But as with anything, I think it's pretty safe to say that from our perspective, the last, um, the last option should just yeah, be Yeah, I agree. Uh- you're listening to Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. My, my daughter is now in my lap uh, helping me um, co-host this. But uh, if you want to have a little bit more of an insight into the Festivus thing, David, I, I'm going to take the time to also plug your article, uh, which will be available by the time we put this out. Uh, that's all about Festivus and your own ranting. So you, you put out a print version as well that uh, many of the listeners can go and read. Yes, yes. You can find that in the Financial Post uh, in Canada which is uh, the consumer's airing of grievances um, under the banner of Festivus, where I, uh, I, I write down some of these examples uh, and explain why we're disappointed and why politicians need to hear about it. But I will say that it isn't just entirely limited to politicians. Um, I will, one group I'm disappointed in is... Oh, here it comes. The employees at Spotify... We're trying to cancel Joe Rogan. Shame on <laughs> you. Um, this is yeah, a good one. Shame like on you for trying to cancel Joe Rogan. Um, just a like, what a waste of time. Incredibly valuable asset. Again, you don't have to like who his guests are. You don't have to agree with who his guests are. Um, conformity is not a is is not a societal virtue. Come on, guys. And so for them to try and essentially band together and threaten to strike over what they felt were controversial podcast guests for Joe Rogan was one, really silly, but two, also really dumb because nobody, nobody's canceling Joe Rogan. Come on. Like, it's, it's just not, the guy is uncancelable. He'll get more streams on an episode between all platforms than Jake Tapper or uh, Chris Cuomo or Wolf Blitzer will get on their nightly news coverage um, with CNN. And so he is too popular to cancel for dumb reasons. Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll get the ratings of consumer choice radio here very soon. So we do wish him luck with that. (laughs) But another one I would add group of employees. I'm going to say the employees also of, of penguin house publishers in Canada who apparently were furious at the idea of publishing Jordan Peterson's next book very much for the same reasons. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll have to go with the, uh, the, the woke labor class uh, as a category. Well, and for this don't one. forget the pinnacle uh, example of this is the writers at the New York times who basically forced the opinion editor to leave um, to leave their position in response to the Tom Cotton op-ed. Um, so shame on them for basically mob ruling one of their own employees. Um, okay, the mob the mob rule employee yeah, crowd. Yeah, That's a good one. Yeah, shame on I like them. That one. All right, good. I've got another one that is not necessarily politicians, but uh, career bureaucrats. Whoa. Anika's really not happy with this one. Uh, we're going to go with the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, for their terrible lawsuit against Facebook, calling them a monopoly because they purchase WhatsApp and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another brutal one. Uh, it just feels like a political attack. It just seems like each side has their gripes with Facebook. The left hates them because they're successful. The right hates them because they think they're biased. And so they're like, oh, well, well what can we do that will stick? Um, and there's been some talk about Section 230. And I don't know if that's really going to go anywhere because I think people, I, I think a lot of politicians minus the populist left and right realize that getting rid of that would be kind of dumb. Um, 
but it's it's like okay well what can we do oh well why don't we just use the old antitrust rules from the 30s um and and go after facebook for that and then at the same time it's like when we look at this on the social like i mentioned this a couple weeks back i learned about the facebook antitrust lawsuit on twitter um so (laughs) it just quickly got definitely a monopoly there guys yeah way to go really silly (laughs) Um, a festivus for the rest of us. That's yeah. great, David. Yeah. All right, that's... let's see. I've got um, I've got one more to chalk up to. I probably have a couple more, but let's go with the uh, entities, the nation of South Africa. Oh yes, uh, for for banning all alcohol sales throughout the pandemic. Uh, Greenland also did something similar. So it was all alcohol, tobacco products, vape products, everything. South Africa took the approach where they not only ban this stuff, but also actively deputized an entire force to go to door to door to make sure people weren't breaking these rules. Yeah, yeah. And so this was, it was illegal to buy these products. And as everybody knows, if people want them, they're going to buy them anyway. Um, and so it really sparked and, and some background for listeners is I actually ended up oddly enough on South African TV. Um, we're talking with David Clement here on the, t- on the TV. How are yeah. you, Mr. David Clement <laughs> in Canada? Yeah. So, uh, I was, uh, on TV in South Africa talking about this and I mean, just as you would assume prohibition would people went to creative lengths to try and continue to get alco- alcohol, um, a couple, a, a couple died trying to make bootleg alcohol in their bathtub. Don't ever do that. Um, but obviously, they tried to do that and and passed away, unfortunately, because of it. People raided liquor stores, um, so broke into them in the middle of the night and stole it. There was a whole secondary market of of black market cigarettes and vaping products and alcohol and. What was funny is that we chatted with a politician from South Africa on the show a while back about this. Everyone was still, even politicians who were smokers, were still buying cigarettes, including the, the gentleman that we were talking to. And he was like, well, he goes, I know where I'm getting mine. He goes, I know where everyone else is getting theirs. He goes, if politicians can't even follow these rules and, and can't, uh, can't uh, live by this prohibition, then why are we even doing this? this? This doesn't impact public health. In fact, it's just making things riskier because um, because people will go to extreme lengths to get it. And the people on the other side of that transaction can sometimes be pretty scary people uh, in terms of organized crime and things like that. So um, not good, not good on, the, on that front. All right, David, let's look at what is next on the list here on the Consumer Choice Radio Festivus Hour. Um, I had some good ones. We just mentioned FTC, uh, South Africa was definitely on the list. Um, let's let's go for another one that is um, not a politician, um, but a, a group. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, not a uh, a politician, but a group, a private group, a private entity that normally David, you and I are, are very much in, in favor of, and that is the airlines. Now, the airlines, this is a big one. Um, this has to do with refunds, and this was very early on in the pandemic, but people uh, essentially booking flights, having them canceled, people not able to give re- to get their refunds at all, and in case they could get any, they just were vouchers, even though it is pretty much the law in every single country that people should be able to get their refunds if it comes to these type of situations. Uh, so a lot of, of the airlines were, were doing terrible things there. And I'll add to that, uh, they're also seeking bailouts that are um, next level and at the same time uh, denying many consumers uh, the ability to, to refund their flights. This did happen with one flight of mine or for my mother that I had <laughs> that I tried to take control over. And it was uh, very tough, I'll tell you that, with uh, your favorite airline, Air Canada. Well, yeah, Air, Air Canada was a particularly bad actor in all of this. Um so failing to comply by the law, actually, in the op-ed that that I wrote on Festivus, I do list Mark Garneau, who is the uh, transportation minister in Canada. And for our listeners, many of them would won't know that Mark Garneau was actually an astronaut. Um, and so for a guy who's who's moved at the speed of sound, 
Um, he sh- he sure moved slow on <laughs> on getting consumers their refunds. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. There you go. So um, yeah, just a shame. And then what happened is obviously the airlines are lining up for bailouts. They've been devastated by the pandemic, um, and one of the strings attached is you have to issue refunds. And in one sense that that's that's good. Um, but the other sense is, okay, so as taxpayers, we have to pay airline companies via our taxes in order to get our disposable income back. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, that seems like that's not the incentive structure that we want to create. Um, so it's a real shame that that the Canadian government in this instance has not really done a good job of forcing the airlines to honor the law and honor their commitment to issuing a refund. Um, in the same way, like imagine you went to a restaurant and you order your dinner and your dinner just never comes. You mm. never, you never get it. And they're not going to be like, Oh yeah. Okay. About that. Um, here's a voucher for a dinner for eight months from now where your food will come then maybe yeah yeah maybe maybe no you'd be like no no you didn't give me what i bought so i want my money back and the airlines are obviously incapable of figuring that out so yeah what a mess all right so that's airlines uh david we have time for maybe one more before we close out the consumer choice uh, radio festivus hour anything else on your list that you've been holding back um, I do have one, uh, and this goes all the way to the top. This is for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Um, all sorts of things that could be on this list. The one that really irked me the most was he urged, yes, yeah, play O Canada in the background. So he urged Canadians not to travel. Again, one of these things where he's saying, don't travel, don't cross provincial boundaries. Actually, at this point, at the point in time of the incident that I'm mentioning, it was prohibited to go into Quebec from other provinces. And yet he crossed into Quebec to visit family um, uh, one weekend. And so again, rules for thee, but not for me, um, starting at the top. And people wonder why Canadians are are starting to not take these rules seriously. Uh, The same goes for our friends in the U.S., um, it's because politi- one, these rules in many instances seem arbitrary and not consistent, and two, politicians themselves have a hard time following them. So shame on him for failing to set a good example. Shame. I love that one. And uh, obviously we could add um, President Donald Trump to this for many things, certainly the trade wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, whatever dance he's doing now uh, before he swept out the door, that takes a whole other episode, but we'll let yeah. that go. I will. La- I throw one last entity in there because I just got this news. I just now, David. It is. Uh, we're now on basically the next to last week of December. I just now received my stimulus check from the IRS. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> for the first package that was signed in March, I just got it in December. <laughs> so thank you, IRS. You're on my list. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If, uh, yeah, that took a while. Huh? If anyone follows any of the like funny finance meme accounts on Instagram, there's one that's called Liquidity, and they solely post like funny jokes about the finance world. But the best one I saw recently was about how all of these Robinhood trader traders. Uh, so for those who don't know, Robinhood is like a very consumer friendly way to trade stocks. Uh, all of those Robinhood traders just got a direct 600 deposit account into their investment account <laughs> into your trading there you go yeah. you put that on a hold i love it well david it was, a, it was a great hour festivus hour here at consumer choice radio yes uh it was a great time yeah yeah thank you again for listening um i hope all of our listeners uh both on the radio and virtually wherever you listen to your podcast have a safe um a very safe uh holiday season Um, I hope that uh, Santa is good to everyone and uh, we will talk to you in the new year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.
And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check with Consumer Choice Radio for much more. And as always, if you are listening online through your favorite podcast app, we appreciate that. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio. Uh, Thanks again. monster or something i I just lied and i besmirched your reputation and i'm not a nice guy (laughs)